Prepare for a soccer coaching revolution. Come with me on a journey to discover the latest methods, techniques, and tactics that will transform you into a more effective coach, player, or soccer parent. Whether you're a seasoned coach or a beginner, growth never stops. I'm Sagev Rabinovich, and this is Soccer Coaching Mastermind. Welcome back to the show. I'm excited to talk to you this week. We had our first set of games this weekend. I'll start off talking about that. And then I got an email from a listener who asked about play practice play and uh, kind of gave his general thoughts about it and asked a question. So uh, that's really going to be what we're going to talk about today. I really wanted to get really deep into play practice play, what it is, what it's used for, uh, if it's something that we use. Um, and how I feel about it because I have a very strong opinion about it. So let's get into it. This weekend was our first set of games and our first set of games for indoor. And we had four different teams playing. We had our U9s, we had our U10s, we had our U11s, and then we had our U14s. So our U12s and U13s didn't play. They're playing this weekend and they're going to have their first game. So Every single one of those teams really has to overcome their own set of challenges this year. And the reason is really because we've grown so much in the past year, especially since outdoor and indoor. That transition, which is usually kind of like a two-month period, things kind of die down in the last month. And uh, then there's a month break. So within two months, we've gotten a lot of new players and depending on the age group there are some new challenges for each of those teams so with the u9s it's really a team that has to find itself that was probably out of all the teams that played this week and that was the team that struggled the most there was no possession there was only really one player who uh did a lot of 1v1s but it's a team that has some really good players, but everyone is just really at the start of their soccer journey. And while some of those players did play with our 2014s last year, a lot of those players now having to take responsibility and kind of be leaders of this group is a really big challenge. On top of that, the new players that are coming into that team those players also have a lot of work to do to get to the level that we expect from a gladiator team. So that team is going to be a constant, constant development challenge for us to really, really push them to where our U9s ended up last year, which is at a very high level. Having said that, our U9s had their, the second game of the day. And out of all the games, after I looked back at it, the U9s actually, I think, did the best. It was a very gladiator performance. We had a lot of possession, 68% possession uh, on that or 65, something like that. And what was really interesting is the team that we played against. So the team that we played against, I don't know where you know a lot of these teams find these players, but they're really, really tall and they're really, really big. Uh, most of the players were twice the size of our players. And it was a huge challenge 
for our players playing these big, strong, fast kids. But what we ended up seeing was really the skill that allowed us to play at a very high level. And even though the other team was bigger, stronger, faster, we ended up playing much better. We had a lot more possession. We were able to destroy them in our deceptive dribbling 1v1. And the goals that we conceded were really just turnovers or mistakes on our part. And the game started with us scoring a goal. And then uh, they went up 2-1 after that. Then in the second half, they ended up going up 3-1. Then we scored near the end of the game 3-2. And then just in the last 10 seconds of the game, uh, we ended up tying it. So uh, it was really just a hard-fought performance by our players who, in any other situation... I think would have given up. But the fact that we do the 1v1 so consistently, they just, that group does not know how to give up. And that was something that our 2010s really needed. Our 2010s is the group with probably the most amount of new players. That's also a team that didn't have their own team in the in the summer. On top of that, we're playing 6v6 for the first time. And 6v6 is a very, very different game. And we were just outclassed. Uh, we were outclassed from the players just not really understanding their roles. Um, and that's, again, because we just have some new players. What we ended up figuring out pretty early was if we're not playing man-to-man defense, then we're just going to get destroyed. Uh, good teams in 6v6 are playing total football which means that they're not staying in one position one player is taking another player's position and so on and so forth and because of that and the movement if you're not staying with your player it doesn't matter where they are then you're going to get exposed and that's really what happened and we got absolutely uh destroyed at the end of the second half we were tied 2-2 uh by the end of the second and then after a couple of goals from then uh the team gave up our 2013s uh, had a really good game as well. It wasn't a gladiator performance from a possession point of view. Uh, I want to say we had a little bit more possession. The VO didn't uh, track the possession stats, so I don't really know. But uh, we ended up winning that game 5-2. But the key difference for us was our wingers. The way that the other team played, I don't know what kind of formation they had, but for some of the game, when we had the ball, they had two forwards. So we couldn't reset the ball. And our advantage was actually in the wings when our players would just absolutely destroy them uh, with deceptive dribbling moves. So they would do their moves. They would look back. And both of our defenders were covered. So they just kept going. So most of this game came down to our wingers. And because it was a game of battles on the wings and our players were really good at deceptive dribbling we just ended up beating them um and it was purely a 1v1 type of game and and we're really good at that and i think that's really what we're best at we're really trying the possession route as well but for us that 1v1 on the wings there's no other team that can play like that so 
Uh, it was a really good performance from the 2013s, from the 2014s, <clears throat> and then the U9s and uh, the 2010s, U14s, they really struggled. Um, and what we've decided was that those players, especially in the U9 age groups, during our sessions, we're going to have a couple of coaches take them out and really work on the things that we think they need. A lot of them need uh, first touch and passing uh, work. So they're going to kind of have private lessons and just kind of get them to that level where that they can really keep possession if they're in trouble. Now, all of our players can do 1v1s, even those players can. But in situations where they're overwhelmed, then the ability to pass and also the ability to receive and set up for a move is really important. So um, those things were missing, and uh, we're going to work on it this week. Now, this week was Halloween for us, so happy Halloween, everyone. Um, we did not have a lot of players show up to our Tuesday practice because it was Halloween, uh, but for the rest of the week, there definitely will be a lot of players. So uh, we'll use the rest of the week and next week as well, especially with our U9s to really get them ready for this weekend and the games after that. Now, this weekend, our 2011s have their first game, and that's going to be a really interesting team. We have a lot of talent. It's going to be, can they figure out how to play 6v6? And can we really defend properly? And this team is a lot of great 1v1 players. Uh, our defenders also really understand the possession aspect of the game. On top of that, we have a really good goalkeeper who's good with their feet. And that made the difference in our 2014 game. Every time we reset to the goalkeeper, his decision-making was just on another level. And our 2012 goalkeeper who's playing up a year, he's, I think, at that same level. But he's also playing up a year. So uh, I'm excited to see what the 2011 team will do this weekend. In recent history, uh, throughout kind of the world, um, play practice play has become the dominant philosophy that's been taught by national associations. Now, I think most people are confused when it comes to play practice play. I think some national associations are confused when it comes to play practice play. So what we're going to do is we're going to define it. And after we define it, we're going to go and go into every single stage. And stage one is play, then practice is stage two, and then three is play again. Now, just so everyone is clear, we are going to use the definition which is provided on the U.S. soccer website, okay? So um, I'm going to take this straight from there, and then we're going to analyze it. And I think it's going to be really good. Um, so let's start. The first question is, what is play practice play? And U.S. Soccer Federation um, provides a definition, and I'm just going to read it to you. Play practice play is a grassroots development philosophy designed around a player-centered approach to coaching. Okay, so so far, it's player-centered. What does that mean? It means that we're really focusing on each player that's coming to the practice. So far, so good. Taking a player-centered approach places the needs and motivations of the player at the forefront of a coach's approach to coaching his or her players. The concept of play-practice-play is to allow young players to experience the game in game-like situations as much as possible. Love that. Okay, The ability 
for young players to experience the game. That's what we want. We want to be in game-like situations as often as possible. We repeat that situation until players get it in their minds and it just becomes something that's automatic, whatever that is, okay? But we want it to be in a game-like situation. This approach differs from traditional practices that may have children standing in lines, running laps, and participating in drills that don't resemble the game of soccer. 100% agree with everything so far. Everything so far. The theory behind it, the idea behind it makes perfect sense to me. Let's go to the training session and focus on individual players. Let's put them in game-like situations and let's do that as much as we can so that the players themselves get game-like experiences, but in a smaller scale so that we can coach those small parts of the game to an end, which is the overall game. Okay, so love it so far. Now we'll go into stage one. So stage one is the play stage. Okay, and I'll read it again. When players arrive to practice, the first responsibility of the coach is to create an environment that is safe, engaging, and fun. In the first play phase, players engage in small-sided games with the primary focus on having fun. It is important that these pickup style games are led by the players and facilitated by the coaches. During this first play stage, players have the opportunity to experience the game while the coach observes and guides them towards developing their own solutions rather than being directed what to do. Now, the next part of that is what I have a problem with because there are some things that I agree with. There are some things that I don't agree with. So obviously safe, engaging, and fun. I really do like the pickup style. And if you've listened to my previous podcast, then you know that I love 1v1s, 2v2s, and we do that every session. But what I have a problem with is the order. When the players come in and it's supposed to be a pickup style game that's led by the players and facilitated by the coaches, that's not something that I agree with. I want my pickup style games to be led and facilitated by the coaches because for me, that pickup style environment needs to be the most important part of the practice. So for us our 1v1s, 2v2 type games, which are even, I would say, smaller than small-sided games. Those need to be coached. And what I mean by that is we let them play for three minutes, then they come off, and then we give coaching points. What I don't like to see is just go play. Just go play, and facilitating would mean that the coach would be, okay, new players here. Okay, let's add him to this team. Let's add this player to this team. You two go in, you play 1v1, you two play 1v2, 2v2. And then even if you stop it every three minutes as players arrive, the problem is, is that the coaching points aren't getting through to everyone. Because if my first coaching point is the very first thing of defending, which for us is in between a player and the net, and then another player comes after we've already made that coaching point, then that player isn't getting the right order of how to defend properly. So I can understand this stage of play, and I can kind of agree with it in that the pickup style is great, but 
the facil the facilitated part and led part is not something that I agree with, right? So for us, we our arrival activity is rondos. And why is it rondos is because we don't coach until everyone gets there, right? So rondos is a really great way, in my opinion, to as players arrive, they can just start monkey in the middle. And they start and they keep going and they can play it. And then once we have everyone, then we can start to coach. But if we have a small-sided game and I'm constantly waiting for players to show up, then I'm just kind of letting them play. And it's not an environment where they have to be coached. That's my criteria for it. And those rondos at the very beginning, they don't need to be coached. I just want them getting in, getting some touches on the ball. You know, it's a fun little monkey in the middle game. And then we can start, right? And I can make certain points that players should already know at that stage, right? And we can emphasize passing. We can talk about hitting the center of the ball. We can talk about on our toes before we get the ball. We can talk about, um, you know, which part of the foot we use uh, as the ball comes, we get low. Those types of points are points that we always make before the whole team comes. And then once the team comes, then we talk about support, advice, furthest foot, um, those types of things, uh, receiving with the foot furthest from the defender, right? These are the points that we start to talk about, but those are only made after everyone comes. So that's the first stage. That's the play stage, okay? The next stage is the practice stage. And let's talk about the practice stage. In the second phase of play, practice play, children are engaged in different forms of targeted learning activities to further guide their opportunities to develop. The goal of the practice phase is to create an environment filled with opportunities for players to experience and learn about the goal of the training session through repetition. Practice activities should be appropriate challenges, striking a balance between success and failure, resembling the game. Involve the players in making decisions and allow for creative problem solving. The role of the coach during this phase is to guide players while using teaching actions. While it is during this phase that targeted learning takes place, there should always be an emphasis on keeping the atmosphere fun and enjoyable for the players. Now, I can understand what U.S. soccer is trying to do, and I can respect it. I think what we have to understand about this, about play practice play in general, is that U.S. soccer is a federation, which means that they have to come up with something that works for everyone. So what they can't do is give specifics. That can't happen. Everything has to be very general, right? And because of that, I think it, it's right. Listen, the practice, what they said is right. The issue is it's very, very open to interpretation, right? So um, I can agree with everything. Everything from, you know, uh, creating a training session for repetition. I love that. Uh, the ability that it has to resemble the game, that there has to be player decision making and allow for problem solving. All these things are great words, right? Repetition, problem solving, resembling the game. And it gives me really just an overview of something, right? But throughout all of this, it's not detailed enough to, in my opinion, make that much of a difference. 
my expectation of a coach is that the whole session doesn't matter. Like play, practice, play should be all of those things anyway, right? So in the definition of play, practice, play, those should be the guidelines. But I think the practice part is too general. And again, I can understand that because there are so many different needs, right? If you're a grassroots club and you have players in house league and and that are doing recreational soccer, then you also have competitive. And then you also have players that are playing uh, and in the DA, right? I don't know much about so, uh, US soccer. I don't know if the DA still exists, right? MLS academies, all these things. And all these players of completely different skill level, of completely different age, all of this has to be a philosophy that can be applied to it. So I can understand it, but it's a very minimum type of standard of play, practice, play. And this is the second part, practice. So let's talk about the last part, which is play. Again, in the final stage of play, practice, play is the game. This phase offers players the opportunity and freedom to play without interruption in an environment that mirrors <clears throat> the actual game. The focus of the final play phase is to encourage players to express themselves and demonstrate what they have learned during the practice phase. A coach should observe and guide using minimal dialogue if possible by silently observing the application of the practice phase in the final uh, play phase. The coach is able to check each player's understanding and ability to execute the goal of the training session. Now, there's a lot of interesting things here. <clears throat> One of the really interesting things here is this phase offers players the opportunity and freedom to play without interruption. Now, when I've done my courses uh, in Canada, there is interruption, right? You're supposed to blow the whistle and then you're supposed to go through this thing where, uh, you know, talk about it, show it. And then you get them to rehearse it and then they play, right? So um, that's interesting. I don't know what U.S. soccer, if if that's really what U.S. soccer does in their courses, um, that they're, you're supposed to play without interruption. Um, so I, I, I can't speak to that. Do I agree with it? Again, it's very general. Without interruption for how long? If I'm playing a game and it's a small-sided game, how long do I go for? And then when can I interrupt, right? Without interruption at all, right? It, it, it's very general. I do like that the environment mirrors the actual game. But again, it's too general. What does that mean? How much of the game, right? If I'm playing 11 v 11, that mirrors the game. But... If I'm just having a scrimmage, 11 v 11, that's not going to do anything, especially if there's no interruption, right? However, if I do uh, a situation where it's, uh, let's say, a 3 v 3, okay, in the final third, well, that mirrors the actual game. If I'm playing a 4 3 3, for example, and I want to do... Um, you know, kind of an attack versus defense type thing, uh, still having nets, one net uh, for the defensive team and two nets for uh, the attacking team, right? Have a coach uh, push in the ball. And then now we're kind of working with our three forwards against maybe a three, four, three. So we're working against the three defenders. 
So that actually mirrors the game, okay? Uh, but it's a small-sided game, right? So it just really depends on your interpretation of it. What is something that mirrors the actual game? Now, nowhere in this definition does it say small-sided, right? The only time I've seen small-sided was in the play stage. So theoretically, you could be playing your full 7v7. Each player can touch the ball once in 10 minutes, and you're good. So it's too general. Let's talk about the next part, okay? Uh, it encourages players to express themselves and demonstrate what they've learned during the practice phase. That I absolutely love. Okay. The ending should demonstrate the practice stage. Now, here's what I have a problem with. By silently observing the application of the practice phase in the final play phase, the coach is able to check each player's understanding ability to execute uh, the goal of the training session. I completely agree that the goal should be analyzed, the, that the coach should be silently analyzing what's going on. But in my opinion, again, for how long? The whole time? What am I taking notes for the next practice? When can I stop? And again, it just opens up to too much interpretation. And again, it's the same issue. This has to be general enough for the whole country, for every age group, for every skill level, for everything. And it's too general because a practice can look simply like this. Okay. Small sided games, players arrive. Let's play 4v4. They play for 15, 20 minutes. Okay. I'm going to let the players lead it. Right. So the players are the ones uh, that are going to be making teams. And, and then it's facilitated by me because I'm around in the practice uh, situation. Um, we want repetition. We want it to resemble the game. So then maybe I do an attack versus defense game. Maybe do a, a 3v3 plus 2 type game um, where it's 3v3 uh, or 3v3 plus 3, I would even say. So I want to get them to really understand uh, how the um, the midfielders should uh, react in their first touch. Right. So maybe if that the player's on their back, then they one touch back to the defense something like that. Not necessarily something I would focus on, but again, this is just to be in this uh, practice environment. And then I would go into the play again phase, and then I would play a 7v7 with the focus on watching how the defenders react. So that's a perfect play practice play. But in my opinion, that would be one of the worst practices I've ever run. Because within all of that, well, what part did I really have in it? When did I really coach in the practice? So for one third of the practice, I had a huge influence in. Don't forget, according to them, stage three without interruption in the game, without interruption, silently observing the application of practice phase. First phase. Let the players lead it. You facilitate. Right? Now, I have a huge problem with play practice play. Throughout that whole session, 
I don't see a situation where I can break down a deceptive dribbling move, right? Where in here can I stop and can I break down a Maradona? Where in here can I stop and break down a Matthews? You can argue that you could do it in a practice environment. But according to them, the practice environment has to have decision-making and creative problem-solving. So if I stop, ask the session, ask every player, grab a ball, let's break down a Maradona, there is no decision-making there. There is no creative problem-solving there. The activity itself that goes from that into it, yes, right? When we play our 1v1s, there is. But to actually break down a skill <clears throat> and a technique, right? Technique turns into a skill, um, is just not possible with play practice play according to the practice phase of the game. Now, fun, enjoyable, all that. I'll be honest, I don't know how fun and enjoyable it is to break down a move for these players. Some players love it, some don't. But we do this for four or five minutes and we have to start slow. Players have to understand how to do it. And if you start right away, okay, here's how you do a Maradona, go play, right? Or here's how you do a Maradona, go try it in a 1v1. You can't go from zero to 100. It doesn't work like that. To me, that's a huge problem with play practice play. And again, it's just too general, right? There are so many inabilities in that philosophy to focus on individual needs. And it's very much an approach for every coach. Any coach can do this. And is that a good thing? I don't know. I don't think so. I think you have to challenge coaches. I don't think it's okay for a coach to put the ball down and say, go play. I don't think so. I think you have to create an environment where development, repetition, all the stuff that play practice play talks about, but the ability to kind of get away with a play practice play session that is just not development focused, that's a huge problem. There should be guidelines in place that don't allow coaches to have that kind of freedom. Now, I think freedom is great, you know, but there needs to be a structure in place. And this isn't really a structure. This is an overview, right? You should have these kind of values in your session. And if you had these kind of values, then, you know, that's play, practice, play. And at the end of the day, what it comes down to is really coach competency right? Like the effectiveness of the play practice play heavily depends on how competent the coach is that's facilitating the approach. That's really bad. That's not, that's not how you create a generation of excellent players. It's just not. And it's a big issue. It's a big issue everywhere. Now, again, I understand where they're coming from. You know, they think this is a good thing. 
right? They're kind of giving a guideline, you know, an overview and coaches can, you know, pretty much do what they want. But the guideline is just too broad. To just come in and play, to just come in and let the kids, oh, you know, we're going to we're going to look at, you know, how good Brazil has been throughout the years and because Brazil's, you know, street football is so amazing. Why don't we just do that? There is no street ball environment. It's it, it can't happen. Not in a session like this. Not in a session where the players come and they just play with the coach overseeing. Especially coaches that are mainly possession based. Sorry, but if you've ever seen a street ball game, it is probably the worst thing to pass the ball. We did the very first time ever yesterday, and, and I mean in, in years, we had a scrimmage because we only had uh, eight players show up. So it was Halloween. You know, the players came by instead of going trick-or-treating, so I felt bad. And, you know, I said, hey, you know what? Let's just Let's just play. And in that environment, every time I got the ball, without a doubt, my goal was very simple. Put the ball through a player's legs. That's it. I did not look to pass. I didn't. That's a street ball environment. Go out, have fun, show off. I guarantee that a 3v3 in a session is not that when players arrive. It is not go out, show off, show me that skill. No, that, that doesn't exist. That's not... That's not right. And and then again, at the end, the same thing as the beginning. Just go play. But this time we have more players, so now more players play. And I won't say a thing. Okay, I'll just let you play and I'll just watch and I'll analyze. Really? Really? How is that development? That would be like if I was a teacher at a school. Every day the students would come in and they would go, okay, um, you know, here are some math problems on the board, you know, go work on it. Great. Just work on it. Fantastic. Um, you know, answers, you know, talk to each other about it, you know, who knows? And then you go and then you do your lesson, whatever that lesson is. And then at the end you go, okay, try that, try that again, try that again. That problem that we had at the beginning of the day, try it again. There is no, there's nothing from the teacher. How do you know if they did it right? Right? At the end, don't say a word. Don't interrupt. Let them go. The right approach, if I take that approach, would be, okay, let's go in. Everyone work on a problem. Here's the problem. Great. At the end... Great. Okay. Here is the answer to the problem. Here's the way you do that. Now let's get into a session. Let's get into the lesson plan of the day that talks about how you do that. Okay. And then at the end, here's a new problem. I want you to work on that. Okay. Use the steps that we spoke about beforehand to figure out the problem. And then at the and then I as the teacher would walk around and watch how these kids are doing it. And if they're making a mistake or they have questions, I go in, I answer. Okay, I'm a part of the conversation and I make sure by the time everyone leaves, 
boom. Okay. They got it. Everyone's got the answer right. Everyone understands the approach. That's a perfect play practice play. But the ability that a class can go either one of those ways is so bad to the development opportunity that it just depends on the teacher. And that's not what the National Association has to do. It is the job of the National Association to develop coaches that can do that good session every time and not allow that first part. But with this, that doesn't exist. You can do either one and you're fine. And that's not okay. It's not. There should be more guidelines. There should be more than just this generalization that allows you to do anything you want. That's not how things work. And that's not how it should work. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Coaching Soccer Mastermind. This weekend, we have four games. Are you nines are playing? Are you 12s? Are you 13s? And are you 14s? So it's going to be really interesting. I'm really interested to see the development of the U9s throughout the season. We have some really, really talented players and some players that are just kind of being introduced to everything. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Um, they're going to struggle. And what I've noticed is the other teams are really stepping up their game. There are some really good things happening. Um, every single club is just putting such a heavy focus on passing and receiving that players have a really good first touch and they're really good at passing the ball. Um, even at the nine-year-olds. And my guess is that's all they're really working on. So we're playing a lot of teams who are just really good at passing and receiving. On top of that, they're picking their best players from house league. And when you have a house league program of 150 kids per an age group, that's a lot of kids. Um, and to pick the top 10 is a really, really advantageous uh, we don't do that. We just develop players and put them on our academy team. So we don't have house leagues. So I've seen a lot of really good teams. And uh, I'm really excited to see how we continue to do throughout the season. Next week, I'll be back. And I guess you'll have to wait and see what I talk about. Um, but until then, enjoy the journey. Enjoy the moments. But most importantly, enjoy the game.